Is it just me or does Easter feel like a month ago? I, I don't know what it was. I was getting ready this morning and I was like, yeah, I remember a couple of weeks ago at Easter. No, that was just last week. It's kind of one of those. Um, I hope that Easter you have experienced as, as, as something more than just a day. I hope that you are still walking in this season of Easter, that you are still walking in awareness of um, God's presence, of the fact that Jesus is alive. Uh, we have more than just a, a ticket to heaven. We have an opportunity for a new life um, with a capital L here where we are. Um, we looked at a passage last week uh, with um, these two guys that were walking away from Jerusalem. They were very distraught. Their hopes uh, for what they thought it was going to be like to journey with Jesus were, were dashed with the cross, but they were not aware of the fact that he had resurrected. So here we have two people that um, no longer continued to really believe that Jesus was who he had been claiming to be. They were walking away from this central place of their faith, yet Jesus pursued them and gave them this keen sense of belonging. Um, and eventually they, they came to recognize him. We're going to go back to that same passage. So if you want to start thumbing through your Bible, looking for Luke 24, um, that's where we're going to be. And I just want to, I want to say up front that one of my, one of my passions in life is for people to catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus. I want you to do more than just go through the motions. I want you to experience what it is like to actually um, know Jesus in a personal way and in an ongoing way. For you to wake up tomorrow not just satisfied with how maybe you experience God in a worship service today, what would it look like for you tomorrow to recognize that Jesus is walking with you tomorrow in whatever it is that tomorrow has waiting for you. Um, there is just something powerful about knowing that he is ever present, but also paying attention to the fact that he is ever present. This last uh, song that we sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. What we were talking about there is we're not saying, Holy Spirit, I hope you don't have too much to do and you can join us today. Uh, we're not saying, um, uh, you who don't forget about us, he is here, and our part in that is to pay attention and to live in a way that we welcome him. So, are we really paying attention to his nearness? Um, we uh, we use the phrase, and we talked about it a lot last week. You belong here, and Jesus walking with these two people on this Emmaus road gave them this keen sense that they really belong with Jesus. Their hearts were burning with this sense of, wow, this is what we were created for. And um, he made them feel as though they belonged, which is very different than making someone uh, meet a set of requirements so that they fit in. Fitting in is a lot of work. Fitting in can be exhausting. Fitting in is great as long as you're still fitting in. But as soon as the rules change or you can't meet certain expectations, the opposite of fitting in is you're left out. And that is such a painful encounter that we experience. And so rather than trying to figure out what we must do 
to fit in in a church culture, um, what we must do to fit in with God. He says, I am already here. You are right where you belong. Welcome home. That's really what he says to us. And our part in that, as we were singing, is what are we doing to say we welcome him? Are we welcoming him? Um, as a dad, one of the things I enjoyed with my kids when they were little was uh, just kind of the wrestling and, and fighting kind of stuff. And I would put my hand on their forehead and then they would be doing one of those, you know, but they wouldn't be able to reach because their arms weren't long enough. That has changed now. <laughs> they would be able to reach me. Um, what are the ways maybe that we have been doing this to God? Have we kept him at an arm's length in some way? What would it be like for us, instead of doing this, like some Heisman pose, what if we, what, what if we welcomed him in close, as scary as that can be? That's what I want us to consider. So um, let's bow our heads and, and pray. And before I pray, um, I just want you, with your heads bowed, just to voice your own prayer. If there is a certain way that you want to word it and just say maybe what you've been singing, um, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here with me. God, you are welcome here. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness for the ways that um, you've stiff-armed God and held him at a distance. Maybe this will be the first day that you say, okay, God, I'll let you draw close. Father, I thank you that you love us right where we are, even if we have been for the past week or for the, our whole entire life. If we've been walking away from you, thank you that you are the God who is near to us, who is still pursuing us to say we belong with you. We begin this journey in this, these next few minutes here saying that you are welcome. Accept us in our excitement as well as in our doubt. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, there are, are questions that I think surface for a lot of us um, in, in a variety of ways, but one of them is how do we recognize God's voice? Have you ever tried to discern Maybe you're in a situation where you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do next, or you're just, you know, you're at some type of a crossroads and you're weighing two decisions and you're trying to figure out, okay, is this what God wants for me? Or am I just kind of reading into this because my de desire for it is so strong? Um, what does it mean to recognize God's presence no matter what the circumstance? How can we hear from God? Isn't that a big question? I mean, how do we relate to an invisible God? Pretty challenging, depending on, you know, whether or not you've been taking medicine. You're not used to talking to people that are invisible, okay? But, um, but this invisible God invites us to walk with him. Um, how do we make Jesus feel welcome? In addition to just praying that, how do we actually do this? Well, I want to I want to walk us through some real practical ways that you can engage with God. Um, if you've got pen and a bulletin, uh, this would maybe be some, some things that you could write down. Um, in these inserts are discussion notes 
and the life groups have opportunities to discuss this a little bit more. But I want you to have some real practical ways to experience God in your midst all throughout the week. Because if we only encounter God here or we only look for God here, we are really, really missing out. And so I want you to, um, we're going to walk through this passage and uh, we're going to hopefully be able to walk away with some real practical exercises that we can do so that we can encounter God in a very real way. Um, Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were walking with each other, uh, and uh, they, were, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. So again, for the context, this is Resurrection Sunday for them, but they were not aware of what had taken place. Um, so I want to, for the first question, how do we make Jesus feel welcome? And how do we make Jesus feel that he truly belongs in our life? Um, I think a common misperception is that you can choose to add Jesus to your life. I think that is a common misperception. And it's, it's a well-meaning um, misperception. Um, it, it could be, you know, during that difficult chapter of your life, or um, maybe you, maybe you just had kids, and you're thinking, "Wow, okay, I haven't been to church in a long time, but I want my kids to grow up in that environment. How can we add Jesus into the mix here?" Um, all of these things, like I said, are, are good, but the truth is, you don't add Jesus to your life because the Bible teaches us that He has been there all along. God has been there all along. So rather than trying to find him and add him to your life, really what you should seek to do is open yourself to the God who is already present. Open yourself to the God who is already present. Think of it like this. Um, you, you reach those seasons where you feel like life has fallen apart, and you try to think of ways that you could treat God almost like a button on a shirt. How can I, how can I sew God into these circumstances? How can I stitch him into this relationship? But rather than trying to sew God on like he's a button, what we're asked to do is to create a button hole through which he can enter. We open up a space for the God who is already present. Um, he's not waiting to be added to your life. He's been walking with you this whole time. What he is, is looking for is an opening. Will you welcome him in? How are you making space for Jesus? How are you making space for Jesus? Um, even if you have been walking away from God, he's walking with you. How can you make space for him? Um, there is a, a quote by Ruth Haley Barton, and she has a book called Life Together with Christ. And if you want to dive more deeply into this Luke 24 passage, uh, her book, Life Together with Christ, would be an awesome resource for you. In fact, much of what I've pulled from last week and this week has been from her work. 
The issue never was whether Christ was present in all these moments, for he surely was. The issue was whether the disciples had the capacity to recognize him, and that was something that developed by God's grace over time as they shared the journey. Their ability to discern the presence of Christ progressed throughout the story. First, they saw him as a stranger, then as a traveling companion, then as a teacher, then as an invited guest, then as a host, and finally as their Messiah and resurrected Lord. I see this almost as we were singing earlier, um, from glory to glory to glory. We walk into this greater, uh, to a, a greater and greater awareness of the God who is with us. Now, I, I share this with you, especially this progression from stranger, and we'll see it as we read this passage again. Um, we progress from really not knowing him at all to knowing him very personally, but this is a progression, and I don't want you to be discouraged um, or compare yourself to someone else's encounter. They could just be at a different stage in their journey, but what would it look like for you to progressively move into a closer relationship with him. Um, Let me give you an example of one way that we plan on creating a space. Michelle has already talked about the two retreats coming up. Um, There will be opportunities on those retreats where someone will be speaking. There will probably be, I'm assuming, some worship as well. Those will be openings for you to invite Jesus closer in. But even outside of that, as these two disciples on the Emmaus Road show us, as we walk and talk together, we can participate in conversations that welcome the presence of Jesus. Are you having conversations with your friends that are welcoming to the presence of Jesus? Do you talk about the type of things that Jesus is like, ooh, I'd like to be a part of that conversation? When, when we gather together, um, for as men on our retreat, one thing I've noticed about one of the differences, and this is very much a stereotype, but um, there, uh, women will get together over a cup of coffee face to face. Men, at least at the beginning, will get together for some type of an activity side by side. And as men walk side by side, whether you were sitting there with fishing poles in your hands or whether you were literally, you got a running buddy, there is something that it kind of begins to break down that barrier to where you can really begin to talk about your life, talk about things that matter more than just what is going on with the warriors and what are the, the Sharks' chances as they enter into the playoffs. I mean, there are some real conversations that take place And I believe that we are creating a space on these retreats where we will walk, literally hike side by side and create space for us to have those conversations. Will it be filled with laughter? And will we talk about sports? Probably at some point. But we are also attentive to the fact that God is with us and we have an opportunity to engage in those conversations. Make space for Jesus. In other words, remove all the stuff that has been keeping Jesus from joining you on your journey. And it's not just for the retreats, it's in the ordinary of the day-to-day. 
So let's get real practical in some ways that we can um, help others create this space as well. And I want us to look at the example of Jesus, uh, beginning in verse 15 again. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus said, What things? And they replied about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are. In other words, um, Uh, I'm sorry that you don't understand this because it hasn't been explained to you. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In this little section, Jesus models for us an amazing way that we can engage with each other, especially if we're walking with someone who is going through a tough time. How do we better engage in those friendships when we have someone in our life who is really hurting? Because I'm sure that the first reaction we have is, I want to, I want to alleviate this pain that my friend is experiencing. I want to get rid of it for them right away. But what I want us to see is how Jesus modeled something very powerful for us. And and it's just in practically how we can walk alongside one another. To begin with, Jesus models this creation of an environment of belonging simply by listening and being. He begins by listening. He begins without having to fix, without giving advice, without problem-solving, And I think it's safe to say that Jesus could have immediately done all of those. Instead, he steps back and he sees the value in not rushing in and offering advice too quickly. He respected their experience of the events, even though their perception of the events was not completely accurate. He respected um, the meaning that they were placing on it. Um, All the questions they were asking in response to their experience, he listened to. Jesus created an environment of belonging by being willing to listen and by being present to someone in all their pain and uncertainty. Jesus thought it would be better first to understand before being understood. Jesus took the approach of, I'm going to begin by listening to them rather than having them listen to me. I want you to think about healing relationships in your life. 
and how powerful that could be. How powerful perhaps that has been. And Jesus, I believe, is, is wanting to model for us a way that we can be Jesus to others. I want us to see how important it is that we engage with people that don't feel like they belong, who are distraught in the way that Jesus did with these 12, uh, with these two, and I'm sure as he had been doing um, with untold numbers of others. If you are the listener in a moment like this, whether it's someone, a friend that calls you, uh, they come over to your house, um, you're... You're sitting there, and then all of a sudden, they just about everything in their life. Um, We experience really great temptations to rush in and to fill that emptiness with words. Can you agree? We the last thing we want is you know we they're going to share all of this important stuff, and then we're just going to go and silence because we're so worried about what they think. They're like, oh, great, great. They don't even know what to do. Awesome. You know, they just totally checked out on me or something like that. But we rush in with words because we're tempted to give advice. And it's our way of just filling that space. And maybe you've used this phrase, well, what really helped me when I was in your situation was... And there might be a time and a place for that. But at first, there is tremendous value in just being and listening. Um, Not just advice. Sometimes we have these uh, well-meaning attempts at comfort. We want to comfort them. And we say, "Oh, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Have you ever been on the receiving end of that where you just wanted to scream, you have no idea how I feel. I know you meant well, but you don't know what I'm going through. We, We, with good intent, we want to comfort. Or it could be that we just feel so uncomfortable with it that we offer some cliche filler phrase. Well, God, God has a plan in all of this. When he closes a door, he's going to open a window. And here's a little precious moments figurine for you if you'd, <laughs> you'd like it. Um, so why, why do we do those things? Well, I think we do those things because we genuinely want to help with someone who is hurting. But can we admit that maybe we want to, we have a Messiah complex? We want to be the Savior to them? We would love for them to go tell their friends, you know, I thought I'd reached the end of my rope and then I had this conversation with Gary and it changed everything. I don't know what I would do without Gary. I mean, put your name in there. I mean, we kind of have that, that thought where maybe, just maybe, we're going to be the ones with the special answer. Even though we have not even come close to figuring out our own messes, we're going to be able to figure out somebody else's. Um, sometimes, um, sometimes our motives are we want to help because helping them makes us feel better about ourselves. We feel their pain, and the only way we can get rid of that pain is by making us feel better about ourselves. Which, and you can kind of see where this leads to the third step. Um, we've all of a sudden we've turned it into an experience about us. It's no longer about them. It's about us and how we feel. It's about us and how we're going to be better as a result of all of this. 
But what Jesus did was that he stood still and waited with them in the midst of their shattered dreams and hopelessness and the unfixables of life. What a great example. Um, I don't remember how old Callie was at the time, probably around four. She was in that stage of swimming with floaties on her arms. She was fearless with floaties. She would come running from the side of the pool, splash in, enjoyed that. One of the times she got out of the pool, we were at a a friend's apartment complex with uh, Eric and Jackie in Tampa, and uh, Callie got out and was eating some snacks, and she went running and jumped into the pool, and as soon as she splashed down, she realized she had taken her floaties off when she got something to eat. Well, Eric, our good friend, was as close to the edge of the stage is to me from, from Callie. And Callie came up and just splashing, screaming. And Eric stayed really calm and said, come on, Callie, you can make it. And she did. She actually swam that short distance. And I watched that. And my, my first thought was, help her. You know, what is wrong with you? And then what I saw that what took place is, um, the last thing she needed actually was to be rescued. She needed to experience that things were going to be okay. And he provided just enough space for that to take place. We are surrounded in life by people who are in over their heads. We are surrounded by people who are thrashing about, screaming for help. And with good intention, we want to rush in. And fix. We want to rush in and make sure that they will never experience that again. But maybe the best response we can offer is to let them splash for just a little bit. Because if we continue to rescue and fix, they never learn a dependence on God. They never experience what God is able to do in them, through them, directly. So who are the people in your life that are hurting. Last week we talked about we want to create a sense of belonging here. We need to be trained up in the ways of Jesus, where we sit with people in their pain. And our goal is not just to fix or to alleviate, it is to be with. In other words, we're saying to them, even if this never got fixed, I want you to know you belong right here. I'm with you. In this, when we start creating an environment like that in this church, there will be no back door. People will come visit, experience belonging like that. They will not leave. We have visitors every week. Not all of them stick, and for a variety of, a variety of reasons. There's nothing. I'm not saying that 100% of the people that walk through these doors. This is we're not the only church in town. But are we creating an environment where those people really do feel at home? Do they really sense there are some people that are going to be with me no matter what? And I can scan this crowd and I know that some of you are already living this. Because some of you are seated next to someone who is here because that's the way you came to them. You treated them like Jesus has been treating you in this, in this listening. Continuing through this story, 
And this is where I will kind of reach, um, I th- the story reaches a climax, a climax here, and I want us to think about how we can better recognize God's presence in our midst. And this is the part of the story when it finally clicked for these guys. Uh, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. In other words, this was an abiding. This was a, a dwelling together. We belong together. This is the best place for me to be, is right here with you. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So how do we recognize when Jesus is walking with us? If we say that he is always present, if we say that, um, if we agree with what the scriptures say, that he left us with his spirit to dwell within us and to, to lead us, to be around us at all times, how do we recognize that? Because obviously we have moments where we miss that. Um, Beth's uh, grandparents lived in Port Charlotte. We would enjoy going down to Port Charlotte, Florida for vacations. And her grandmother did not hear well. And uh, if you've ever been in someone's house that has this kind of hearing impairment, um, they, she had the television with the, uh, the scrolling words always across the bottom. But just in case, she had it turned up full blast, okay? So the TV would always be just blaring. And then, of course, we have the kids running around that added to the noise. And then she had this phone that sat on this little stand next to her that when it rang, it was like a tornado siren, okay? It would ring, and I would literally jump. I mean, it, it would scare me. And at one time, I was sitting in a recliner over here. She's in her recliner, phone right there, just all this noise. And she looks over, over at me, and she goes, um, Marvin's home. I went, no, he, he went to work today. She goes, no, I just heard the garage door going up. He's home. They've got a whisper quiet garage door. But she was able to, amidst all of that noise, detect that he was home. How do we recognize God's voice? We spend time and over time, as we spend time with this one that we are in a covenant relationship with, we just know. We hear those things. We get, grow accustomed to those ways that let us know God is near. God is present. It is a relationship that we build over time. It might begin as strangers, but it can result in us recognizing the Messiah, the Lord himself. So how do we progress there? And I want to be real practical in this. Um, There is an exercise called the examine. It's uh, 
kind of short and another language for an examination where you are examining your life. And it is a way of, of helping us see where God was active throughout our day. Uh, this is a practice that is usually done at the end of a day or maybe at the end of a week, but I'm going to suggest for us that for the next week, we try this exercise each night. At the end of your day, whether it's you kind of consider that dinner time or as you're going to bed, um, there is a way that you can review your day and think about um, the activities of those days and how attuned you were or were not to God's presence throughout the day. I've shared this before. We do something kind of similar around our dining room table with our kids. We just say, hi, low. Hi, low. What's your high for the day? What's your low for the day? And we go around the table, and the kids will share what their high point was and what their low point was. Now, for them, it's usually something as as simple as um, a good circumstance versus a bad circumstance. But I want you to see that the way that we can go through this is, is actually... In spite of any circumstances for that day, you can see where God was active and present. Um, the two words, and these are also in your bulletin notes, are consolation and desolation. A consolation is a movement of the heart that gives us a deep sense of life-giving connection with God and others. A consolation is that, that encounter where you sense, I belong here. I am right where I'm supposed to be. You look back over your day and you're like, if, if every day could be just like that moment all day, that would be heaven on earth. Those are consolations. To use the words from Luke 24, this is when your heart burns within you. There is a consolation that has set your soul on fire. And then there's a desolation. And this is the sense of being cut off from what is good and best. This is when you feel that you are out of touch with God. Could be marked by inner turmoil, feeling off-center, out of balance. I'm just not being myself today. I'm not being the person that I know God created me to be. It is a sense of I am not where I belong I'm out of place, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. It could be that this was a moment in your life, when, uh, in your day, when you were trying to fit in, and you failed to fit in, and you also failed to realize that you just belong in God's presence. The disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us? So here's your action step. Pay attention to the things that set your soul on fire. Maybe you have a journal next to your bed, and the last thing you do at night is just jot down, this is when my soul was on fire. I missed an opportunity here for a consolation and a desolation. The desolation is not to shame you, like, oh man, I really missed it. The desolation is more to train you so that next time that opportunity rolls around, you'll be attentive to it. Maybe you, you write down, boy, uh, I had a lot of time in the car with the kids, and man, I just missed a golden opportunity there. Desolation. And don't sit on that as much as, you know, tomorrow I'm going to have more time in the car with the kids, 
And I'm going to find God in the midst of that moment. You want to take more advantage of that. So write down those consolations, those desolations. Maybe you just partner up with somebody and you text. This was my consolation for today. This is my desolation. And they do back. And this is a way that you can hold each other accountable. You can help each other see Jesus right there in your day today. Um, A weekly practice that we have here at Central, and it's very key, is communion. Um, One of the things that I think is so powerful about communion is because this is an opportunity for a consolation. This is an opportunity for us to recognize Jesus right here in our midst. He says, remember me. Remember me. Recognize that I am here. I am with you. Um, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and in preparation for communion um, how can you turn your thoughts towards him maybe there's space in the pew right next to you what would it be like for you to just say okay Jesus it's me and you right now You're here beside me. Accept me as I am right here. Because the communion elements that you will take speak to belonging. This is my body for you. This is my blood shed for you. I did this because we belong together and your partaking of communion is just a way of saying thank you as you taste of that bread and that cup I pray that you have a deep sense of life giving connection between you and God and also between you and everyone else that is partaking in this room May you know in your soul, I belong right here as I am. I am where I'm supposed to be. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we do come to you. You've been here all along. You've been seeking us. Now we turn and face towards you. Meet us here. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.